So here we have an interesting episode. An episode which doesn't really have an A and a B plot, so that's nice. I mean, you could argue it does, but really it doesn't. It's just different people reacting to the same plot. Although there is a nice scene where Cork is trying to invent decaffeinated Klingon coffee, which apparently isn't going well. I'm not even going to get into the decaf versus calf argument. I'm one of those weirdos who always felt that decaffeinated soda, back when I drank soda years ago, uh, didn't taste the same and in fact tasted worse than caffeinated soda. Although part of that's because it was really hard to find decaf non-diet soda too. You ever notice that? It's always diet and decaf. No, I want decaf, but I want sugar. <laughs> real sugar. Well, I know it's not real sugar. Then they have a topic about how much say a man should have in uh, during the pregnancy of a woman. I ain't touching that with a ten-foot pole. So we're just going to move on. The main plot of the story, Jake narrates in several ways. Now, usually I'm against narration in general, because narration from a functional perspective in a visual medium like this, when it comes to television, movies, theater, or video games, narration's purpose is to be there when you either have a specific purpose in that vehicle, you know, it's trying to get across a point, like in this episode, it's actually the book. The, the novel that he, or the story that he's writing is what he's reciting throughout the course of the episode. Or, you know, like uh, FF12. Final Fantasy XII is a good example of a game that uses narration as an effective narrative tool because what you hear is literally the Marquis, yeah, I know it's not pronounced that way, but that's how they say it, uh, Andor giving what is effectively the false account that history is going to record, which we can then compare to what actually happens, you know, public record versus truth. So that adds an interesting layer to things. But for the most part, narration is basically just there for exposition. And normally I'm against that. I'm willing to let it go in this episode because if you removed the narration, you wouldn't lose anything. And that's the important part. All of the relevant information is being presented visually. You, we are being shown, it's just we are also being told. So uh, Sirik Lofton does a good job of portraying all of the emotions and int intonations that need to be shown in addition to the narration that's going on top of it. So I'm with it in this case. I just wanted to defend that, because I've heard several people speak negatively about the narration in this episode in particular. Now, <laughs> there's an interesting scene where Bashir decides not to go. Now, what I find interesting about that is that is absolutely his concern for Jake and nothing else. As we see in the episode, and has seen many times before, Bashir is the kind of person who has been under fire, who has experience, and who knows how to deal with these kind of situations. And so he is absolutely unafraid to walk into a firefight in order to try and save people. Just done, right? But he's got a more responsibility. He has a civilian with him who also happens to be the son of his friend. So he you know, obviously wants to get him home. It is only Jake himself that convinces him otherwise. Now, to be clear, let's be 100% honest. That was the wrong choice. Or perhaps more accurately, that was the incorrect choice. However, it did work out. So whatever. But Jake not only could have died, honestly probably should have died at least twice during those course of events. So that's why you don't bring a civilian into a combat zone. Especially a civilian with no training. And that's the important part. This episode, I like this episode a lot because it does something that Star Trek almost never does. It's... I'm trying to think how to phrase this. It's, it's believable. It's fully believable. I've talked about this before, how there's a difference between, you know, imagining or faking something and actually doing it, right? I mean, 
we can all say, oh, I totally want to do such and such under such and such circumstances. But until you're in that moment, you never really know. And well, you don't always like what happens when you're in that moment. Now, I've actually been in the moment several times. And so I actually know myself in a way that otherwise I wouldn't have. I have been in truly dire, literally, actually, no really, dire circumstances. And I know what I'm like under those circumstances. I have that truth of myself, which I'm not going to share with you guys. It's not relevant anyways. But that's exactly what this episode is about. We see how several people act under those circumstances. We see what most of the medical staff does. We see what happens with Burke. We see what happens with Bashir. And we see what happens with Jake. And each one of them gives a different perspective on how people act when things are actually bad. And I like that. Because, again, you never know unless it's actually really happening, right? Someone comes after you with a knife. I mean, you could say that, and I could talk about it, and we could theorize back and forth. But when that actually happens, what actually comes of that, you don't really know, not unless you've been there. Now, obviously, training is a thing, and Starfleet does try to prep its people for things, but come on. <laughs> you can't tell me that that training just 100% prepares you for the real thing. I mean, why would it? So we have the kid who shoots his own foot in order to get out of it. And what I like best about that is Jake both look, it, Jake serves as both perspectives in this. First, he looks down at the man for his cowardice. And later on, he completely understands him for his cowardice. And I bring that up. One of the things that fiction has a weird obsession with is portraying being afraid and cowardice as a bad thing. I know that sounds strange, but hear me out for a second. In general, fiction usually makes someone who is a coward out to be wrong, bad, evil, and usually deserving of some kind of comeuppance, right? I bet you could think of a dozen examples, if you sat and thought about it for a minute, of different characters in fiction who have been cowards and who have been horribly destroyed, uh, eaten by Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, stabbed to death by orcs, as I'm just kind of going through my, some examples in my head here. You know, you know what I mean, right? They all, there's always some kind of comeuppance for that. Because fiction always passively portrays it. From, from the narrative law perspective, fiction portrays cowardice as fundamentally wrong. I've never liked that. I, I mean, obviously cowardice is not exactly a good thing, but it's also a very normal thing. And there's nothing wrong with being normal. So, the idea of someone who can't take it who buckles, who strains, who gives in to panic, is not a, th a bad thing innately. It doesn't mean you're some horrible, despondent person. Now, it's not a good thing, but to, 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 it bothers me how much fiction says, oh, you're horrible. And DS9 consistently takes this approach. And not, the, not the horrible approach, but rather the idea that cowardice is just a natural thing that some people have. That it is a human element, for lack of a better way to put it. That, and I like, I really like how Jake never overcomes it the whole episode. I really enjoy that. Because, in my opinion, that would have been doing a huge disservice to this episode. That would have pissed me off if Jake just kind of finds his courage. And, yeah, no, he never does. And that, and that's good. Because he shouldn't. He's a civilian. He's a writer. He's someone who shouldn't be the kind of person who is acclimated to this kind of circumstance, to the bombs literally falling tens or dozens of feet from him. I know there's not a lot of difference between tens and dozens. Several or dozens of feet from him, you know, just all around him, and being stuck in a pit with a dying man or rushing back amongst fire or having Klingons who are actively killing people around him. 
No. No. Jake is the kind of person who panics. Now, I've talked about panic before. Because panic, as I've discussed in brief, is when your brain basically says, eh, and the survival mode kicks in. Now, there's, there's more complexity to that. But to simplify this excessively, when you are in a legitimate panic, a chemical panic in your brain, you literally don't think correctly or normally. All you could think about is trying to get away. There are real-life documented accounts of people who have done truly bizarre things in a state of panic, usually in the middle of a battle. And the idea of the guy shooting his own foot to get out of it, or, you know, Jake just running, just finding a direction and running, or, you know, wildly shooting the ceiling, all of those make perfect sense. It is luck, and let's call it what it is, that things actually worked out as well as they did, because Bashir... Well, Bashir is not someone who panics. He has the experience, he has the drive, and some other things we'll talk about in a few episodes, that allows him to be able to push through the normal instinct for survival. Because that's really what that boils down to. Panic at its most base level is your, your functional system telling you, I need to survive at any cost. And being able to override that is something that not everyone is capable of doing, even with training and experience. Hence my, my statement of why I like that Jake didn't get better. Because not everyone's good at bicycling. I like to use that analogy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually not a good analogy. Not everyone's a good chef would probably be a better analogy. But you get the point, right? Just because you're not really good at a specific thing doesn't make you bad. It just means you're not good at that very specific thing, right? One of the other things I really like about this episode is it doesn't glorify or romanticize anything. This is an ugly circumstance with ugly people who are dying ugly deaths. And as an aside, I think, uh, especially uh, Renee Echeverria, who worked on this, did a very excellent job of portraying and getting across the, the proper perspective for the nursemaids and the doctors. Because they are extremely morbid and callous. And that's exactly how that works in real life. Uh, some of you may or may not know that about half of my family comes from a military background and half of it comes from a medical background. So episodes like this obviously interest me. But it's fascinating to see, because this is exactly right. There's this wonderful scene where they're just saying, so when the Klingons show up, what do you, how do you want to die? Ah, I'm thinking, disruptor. Ah, it's supposed to feel incredibly horrible. How about chop the head off, huh? No, nah, I don't want to see my own body for the last five seconds. Maybe, maybe being disemboweled, nah, it's going to take too long. And they're just chatting about it and joking about it. Because of course they are. Jake makes the comment, it's not funny. Of course it's not funny. That's the point. Through my experience, and the experience of my family on that side of the family, well, there's only so much you can do to cope with, frankly, how horrible the medical industry is. I, I don't, I, that's the wrong way to phrase it. How, how horrible being a medical practitioner is. There we go. Let's get that more clearly out. Because you see people suffer and die on a regular basis. Now, you can't be completely, you know, distanced. You can't. If you become a robot, you lose your ability to do your job properly. This is fundamentally proven many times over. So you can't completely distance yourself from the people that are you are failing to help, but you also can't let yourself be overwhelmed by that. So what do you do? You joke about having your head chopped off by Klingons. Right? You, you make light of it because it's not funny. Everyone needs to vent somehow. And I do like how they portray that. 
And there's this interesting bit, by the way. Jake says that no one will remember any of this ten years from now. And that's a very valid point if you look at it from a certain perspective. But if I might be so bold, I guarantee you that there are about 70 or so people who will definitely remember this battle ten years from now. And it's every single one of them that survived it. That's the key right there. This is not advice that I've come up with myself, I'll admit that. You may look at this and be like, what's the point? From a medical perspective, the point is that person right there. And while you're on that person and you're working on that person, that person is why you're bothering. If you fail, you move on. If you succeed, you move on. And you move on to the next person and try to make that person the reason why you bother. And I love that because Bashir kind of gets that across, as well as the other doctors. It's very clear. There are several people who will remember this battle 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Not because it was some grand, glorious thing. Not because it was a wonderful story. Not because it was the pinnacle point in the conflict between the Klingons and the Federation. No, it was because they survived. Because of the efforts and care of the medical crew. Rewinding a bit. There's this uh, there's this really good scene where Jake has just helped in, in the infirmary, basically, nonstop for hours. And then they finally get caught up to the point where they can take a rest. And then Jake goes to sit down and have some food and then just has to run off and throw up. Now, what I love about that scene is not just the fact that he had to do that, which is very correct. <laughs> not Even ignoring the possibility of being grossed out for medical efforts. No, 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 no. Pure adrenaline. Like, his, his blood sugar just crashed hard, and all that adrenaline that had been keeping him going was gone. And so his body's just like, I've, I've been there, I'm sure several of you have too. So it makes perfect sense that he'd just get some fresh air, right? But what I also like is no one mocks him for that. No one makes fun of him. Everyone's been there. At least everyone in that room has been there. And you notice Bashir immediately figures out what's going on. Is just like, all right, let's go, let's go, I got you. Again, no mockery, no nothing. He's been there too, right? One of the things that Alexander Siddig said about this episode is he wished this relationship, this, this brotherly connection between uh, Jake, Jake and Bashir had actually gone somewhere. And I agree. The two actually have a very good chemistry with each other. Excellent dynamic between the two. And I would have liked to see more of that. Unfortunately, I feel like I'm saying this a lot in those last few episodes, but this will never be mentioned again. <laughs> Anyways. Um, at least not this particular side of it. So, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot, I'm sorry, there's a lot of little nice moments. The woman who had, doesn't really get a lot of news. You know, she's all focused on her work, so she doesn't hear a lot. Um, Cisco trying to stay busy by tinkering with the Defiant as it's in, en route. And the, women on the, pla- the woman on the planet, the nurse, trying to stay busy because, you know, just, there's only so much horror you can take, right? And the shelling and the panic. And then he goes into Burke. Uh, Burke is played by Danny Goldring, and I don't regularly recognize that name, but I want to give him credit because it's harder than it sounds to play a dying man. It's easy, really easy, to completely screw it up. Burke instead comes across as someone who is dying. And Jake is, of course, trying to make some sense of, out of all of this, and Burke is, of course, the one who, tell, who hits him in the face with the flat reality. No, life's not like that. You didn't flee here for a reason. You just panicked. That's all. And now I'm going to die. And the one thing he emphasizes more than once, do not let me roll over. Let me, let me face the sky. And what's interesting about that 
is he gets across just enough bitterness and, and rage to get across how much he doesn't want to die. The only satisfaction he gets is the idea that his hopper did make it, that he stayed behind, and that it wasn't wasted, that it meant something. It's a nice little touch. And you could say that's very heroic, but then his death is ugly. Again, I keep using that word because, well, ugly is traditional Hollywood knowledge and thought. Traditional television, uh, video games, movies, all of them kind of approach this in the same way. The traditional mentality is you want to avoid ugly in your fiction. And with good reason, because ugly is ugly. You don't want to see it. And I don't mean like warts or bad skin or whatever. I mean like, I don't have any warts, but you know, I do have bad skin. I don't mean like that. I mean things that are ugly, dirty, gritty, horrible, disgusting, awful, terrible. You know, you don't want to see how bad things really are in fiction because it's fiction. We're trying to avoid bad things. Bad things are out, out the window. We're having fun right now. <laughs> now, obviously, there are exceptions. And this episode is a good use of those exceptions. You don't want to glorify something like this. You want to show it just as bad as it can be on a show like this. The only way they could have shown it better is if they actually got into the gore factor. And to be 100% blunt, I don't think they needed to. Like, even if the studio executives would have let them do anything they wanted to with the show, and there was no limits and no censors and nothing, I don't think the gore would have added to the episode. Because it shows it just as ugly as it needs to be, as is. Burke's death is horrible. And kind of slow. And gurgly. And Jake flips out. And just starts... As he should. <sighs> um, I, I guess I've actually said all I need to say about Jake's story arc. It's good stuff. It's very good stuff. This is actually probably my favorite Sirik Lofton episode in DS9 right here. It's, it's phenomenal. It's an excellent character piece, and it's an excellent portrayal of just how ugly, again, war gets. And this is not the last time we'll see this with Star Trek. But I do want to point out one other thing. Iris Stephen Bear, I've pointed this out before, has kind of a thing with trying to tear down the perfection of the Federation. And I do kind of get his point, even though I don't fully agree with it. This was another attempt on that one. And what I love about this particular attempt is it's so subtle, I imagine most people completely missed it. Because it's not about the Federation troops or the, the officer who shot his own foot or the court-martialing or anything like that. No, no, it's about the fact that the Klingons and the Federation had had a ceasefire, which was then violated by a Klingon attack group, which came down to attack this planet. And then the ceasefire was reestablished. That's it. And I want you to picture for a moment the Federation that gets attacked by another aggressive power and has deaths and loses lives, lives of its own troops and civilians, and then basically just says, all right, listen, are we cool? No, rep no, no rep reparations, no repercussions. Because the Federation is so treaty-happy that they would immediately cling back to the idea of reestablishing that treaty, even though they just got hit by what is literally an unprovoked attack. And again, have actually lost lives and material in the process. <laughs> that is so Federation, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. I get the perspective here. They don't want a renewed conflict with the Klingons, and frankly, that's a good thing. But you got to admit, this is just kind of a... Did they even get a slap on the wrist? I mean, come on! Anyways... I honestly did enjoy this episode quite a lot. It's it's good to see this many good episodes in Season 5, because by memory, and I actually pulled up a list just here uh, of the episodes in Season 5. Season 5 has some really, 
really excellent episodes. Uh, we have In Purgatory Shadow, um, Dr. Bashir, I presume, Trials and Tribulations, that's coming up soon. You know, we've got a lot of really good episodes here. But I also always, whenever I think of season five, what comes to mind is other episodes, like one that's coming up in, looks like about three weeks here. So it's good to see that at least the good quality remains good quality. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this one. And I'll see you next time, guys.